Hello and welcome to Peace, the podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Peace, a United Methodist community in Shoreview, Minnesota. I'm Jason Steffenhagen, the lead pastor. And each episode will typically start with a sacred story reading coming from the Holy Scriptures, followed by the message that was given during our Sunday morning worship time. Any announcements for our community will come at the end of each episode, so stick around. If you are curious about learning more about Peace United Methodist Community, you can go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. If you would like to find more episodes, you can find them on our website or go to our show page, which is peacethepodcast.podbean.com. Once again, that's peacethepodcast.podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N, We hope that you enjoy this episode. Please like, rate, review, subscribe. And now, on to the Sacred Story reading. So our Sacred Scripture reading comes from the book of Genesis. I know we're doing this series on the Lord's Prayer, which is found in Matthew, uh, but every sermon I'm trying to find a way to tap into other areas of the Bible. So if you haven't picked up on that clue by week three, well, there it is. So this is coming right after Jacob is going to steal his older twin brother's Esau's birthright. So in the Old Testament, uh, the birthright was passed down not on equally between the siblings, It was passed down to the oldest son. And so Esau was born moments before Jacob. If you remember the story, uh, their mother's having them as twins, and Jacob is literally grabbing onto the heel of his brother as his brother's coming out of the womb first. At least that's the way the story goes, right? Um, And so Esau's born moments before Jacob, and his mother Rachel loves Jacob and helps him manipulate their dad into stealing Esau's birthright. So if you're Esau and you're expecting all of this, you know, inheritance to come to you and suddenly your brother, your twin brother who's been grabbing at your heel his whole life, steals it away from you uh, right before your father's about to pass away, you might be kind of mad. And so Esau's like, I'm taking that guy out. And so Jacob's on the run. He's like, his mom's like, you need to get out of here. Esau's going to kill you. Go stay with your uncle Laban for a little while. And so this is Jacob on the run from Esau heading to his uncle's house. So Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed that there was a stairway set up on the earth the top of it reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring." Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. That's a pretty good dream. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. 
So as I mentioned, we are in a series on the Lord's Prayer that we are calling the prayer. And this image is intentionally fuzzy. It's fuzzy because there's a lot of different ways to dive into this prayer. And this prayer has been used in a lot of different ways throughout Christian history and Christian tradition. And sometimes the ways that it's been used have made things more complicated. They've tried to oversimplify it. And so sometimes our approach to this is a little fuzzy. And so that's why we are diving in and trying to explore this prayer. And at the end of every sermon, these there's these six phrases that we're focused on in the prayer. And at the end of each sermon, we are kind of nuancing it in the way that I've been talking about. And so I want to read to you, being that we are in week three, the first two uh, ways of kind of how we ended up in translating the prayer. So this is how we've gotten so far. To the one in whom we belong and who makes us family, the source and divine parent who runs the house from a posture of wholeness and shalom. May your distinguishable character and your actions infused with justice and mercy be made known through those in your family. So for those of you that are old school, that's our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. I said it in like six sentences. Jesus said it in two. Okay. Um, So that's where we've gotten to at this point in the sermon. One of the things I love This time of year, as many of you know, after me being your pastor for only about a year and a half or so, is you know I love movies, and this time of year is Oscar season, the Golden Globes were on, and the Critics' Choice Awards, and all this fun stuff, and everyone's on the red carpet, and it's so fun to see, and all the celebrations, and I just love movies. I love going to the theater. I love the celebration of movies, and I love what movies teach us about what it means to be human. I love talking about bad movies and why they're terrible. I love talking about good movies and why they made me think or what they made me celebrate. I love a good movie. One of the movie genres that I really like are the genres where magic is involved. So things like The Prestige, that Christopher Nolan drama with Christian Bale. I like the Now You See Me series. There's a couple of those movies uh, where there's this group of magicians that are trying to steal money or something. I love the Oceans movies. I know it's not exactly magic, but you know, the Oceans movies. They're pulling off a heist and they're creating an illusion of sorts, right? And so I love these movies because they're so creative. They're so thoughtful. I love that they they trick the audience, right? You're going along for the ride and you're like, how did they do that? Like what? And then they they reveal how they did their trick. Because the thing about going to see a magician or an illusionist or whatever is it's, I like watching someone do magic in front of me, like a card trick or like cutting someone in half or whatever it is. But like, it's like, okay, cool. But I know you're just tricking me. But then you end the night by not telling me how you tricked me. And so I'm just left hanging. And I just have to clap. And that's not as much fun. And so what I love about these movies is that they don't just stop with, like, there's the trick, now clap. Instead, they go, now let's show you how they pulled this off. And I love getting to see behind the curtain a little bit to see what just happened and how they got to that place. I love that idea. The reason why I wanted to start with that is because this phrase, your kingdom come, is a lot like a good reveal. Because this word, your kingdom come, the word come here is not just we want it to arrive. There's a translation that we could go with that's we want it to be revealed. We want to see how it came about. And so this phrase is a loaded phrase because 
you got to remember, we are way back in the first century where the Romans are occupying Jerusalem. And before that, it was Alexander the Great. It was the Greeks. It was the Persians before that. I mean, these people have been conquered time and time again, and somebody else has been in power. And before that, they had their own kingdom. And so this kingdom language is an important word. It's an important language for these people because it defines their reality. It's kind of like saying we live in a representative democracy because that's the reality in which we live. We would not say we live in the kingdom of America. We would say we live in the democracy or the republic of America because that's the type of government we have going. In the first century, they had kings and they had kingdoms. They had rulers. They had Caesars. They had people in charge. And any time the people in charge felt threatened, guess what they did to those threatening them? They removed the threat, right? That's the G-rated version of that for the little kids in the room. They would remove the threat. And so, and this happened not only with the Romans in charge and Caesar, but it also happened with the people that Rome had propped up, like Herod the Great. Herod was protecting his power by saying, I'm in alignment with Rome, and anyone that's going to challenge that, I'm going to help remove. And so when Jesus comes along and says, the kingdom of God is near, the kingdom of God is at hand, the kingdom of God, it's within you. That isn't just like, oh, that's really cool, Jesus. I like that the kingdom of God is near. I like that it's at hand. I like that it's within me. That sounds really great. Thank you, Jesus. Nice word. Jesus is saying something politically that will get him killed and that eventually it does happen. Jesus is saying something completely countercultural and not just countercultural to the first century. He's saying something countercultural to like almost the entire history of, of the universe. Like he is saying something that's so countercultural that it is, it, is, it is something brand new and revolutionary for the course of human history. And so when we get to this part of the prayer where it says, your kingdom come, may your kingdom be revealed, may it show up right now, this phrase is a monumental phrase because it means to reveal and to bring your way and your order. And here's the thing. You may think that what Jesus did after this, he says all this, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You think Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is within you, it's at hand, you know, it's, it's present, it's now. You may think that Jesus then decided to stand up and say, okay, I know we've had kings and kingdoms, I know we've had this whole authoritarian thing going on, but let me tell you about democracy. Let me tell you about representative government. You may think that Jesus would just say, you know, you've had politics one way. I've got politics figured out. Let me tell you how to do it. Except for the fact that that's nowhere, anywhere in the Bible. We don't see Jesus rewriting political history. We don't see Jesus saying, actually, this is the right way to do government. Because the kingdom of God is more than just a system of government. It's more than just the right way to order yourselves. Instead, the kingdom of God is the right way to live no matter where you find yourself, no matter what type of government you're in, no matter if it's a government you need to protest or one it's need, you need to join and help shape. Whatever it is, you need to be a part of God's kingdom and kingdom on earth as it is in heaven so that you transform this place here and now. Because Jesus is about the kingdom being revealed now. One of the things I try to get my kids to do, and I'm sure some of you that have been parents or are parents, some of you that have been just kids, you know, is 
uh, I try to get them to help me clean the house once in a while. Um, and I may have talked about this before and how hard it is, right? I mean, it's hard to tell a 14-year-old and an 8-year-old to go clean your room and then to have them stare at you like you just spoke French. Um, and it's like, no, I actually want you to clean your room. And they're like, well, why? No one goes in there but me, and it's mine. And I'm like, mine? Are you serious? Like, I bought the house. Like, it's my room. You're like a freeloader. Go clean it. And then they go and like clean it for a little while. And then they go, I'm done. And it's been like three minutes. And they've picked up two Legos and put one dirty pair of underwear in the laundry basket. But there's still like six others around. And you walk in, they're like, I cleaned. And you're like, what did you clean? And they're like, I cleaned it to my standard. Oh, interesting. I didn't know we were operating on your standard. Let me tell you about my standard. And here's the thing about parenting that we all know. We get to a line where we're just done with the help, right? We're done with them giving their effort, giving their best, because it's just going to take a lot longer to partner with them than it is to just do it ourselves. And so it's easier to say, you know what? Go play video games. I'm going to clean your room. Like, just get out. Let me do this. I just can't I can't watch you pretend to pick up your clothes because none of them make it into the basket. You just throw the socks as if you're playing basketball and you're not a good shot. Like, come on. And so you just clean it yourself. You just do it yourself. It's just the whole fine. I'll get it done my way. The thing about praying, the thing about the Lord's Prayer with the your will be done, it's kind of like we're the kids and we've been asked to help with this whole thing called creation. We've, at, we've been asked to help make it flourish, to make it flow, to make it work well together, to care for our neighbor. And when God says like, okay, now it's time to care well for each other. Okay, now it's time to, you know, clean up pollution. Okay, now it's time to take care of that rainforest. Okay, now it's time to take care of this place we call home. And we're like, I did. And it's like, did you now? And then we're like, well, I tried a little bit, like on Sunday. And like, well, what did you do the rest of the week? I don't know. Played, worked, slept, watched basketball, went to the movies because I like them, right? And we turn into these kids. They're like, well, I tried my best. It's like, but did you? And then we pray a prayer like this, your will be done. And sometimes this prayer is a prayer of saying, God, I trust that you can take care of this. I trust that you're going to clean this up. I trust that the moral arc of the universe is bent towards justice, but it doesn't need my help, which is not what Dr. King meant when he quoted someone and said that. I, I want to just put this on God's plate. Your will be done, God. You just do it. You can handle it. You can handle climate change. You can handle racism. You can handle xenophobia and homophobia. You can handle gun violence. God, you can handle all of this. You could snap your fingers and make it all go away. Yep, God probably could do all of that. But that doesn't create a lot of free will with humanity. We have the power as humans to make a world. We have the power to shape the way things go. And so the, the world that we live in is the world that we've helped shape. Yes, God made it. Yes, God put it into motion. Yes, it was birthed out of goodness and love, and God has infused it with the Spirit and infused it to head into a trajectory of goodness and wholeness and shalom. But as free beings that have the ability to not go in that trajectory, we've gone off course. And so often, we just want to pray this prayer and let God fix it all. 
But the thing is that that's not how it works. So yes, it needs to happen, but it needs to happen within us, and it also needs to happen with us. Because the thing that God has done is God has not just said to us, hey, I just want you to live here for a while and just like have fun. I'll take care of it all. Instead, God said, you know what? I am giving you the ability to be a co-creator. If you want there to be love, guess what? There will be love. But if you want there to be greed, guess what? There will be greed. You are co-creators. We are co-creators with God. We shape reality with God. God gives us that freedom. God gives us that ability. And so the world that we have, this will to make it look more like heaven, yes, we can pray for that to happen, and we can hope that God intervenes. And as my friend Shane Claiborne says, we can become the answer to our own prayers. We can help shape the direction that things are going. I love the passage I read to you earlier at the beginning of this from Genesis 28, the story of Jacob and him running away and him laying his head down on a rock, having this beautiful dream of God speaking to him and seeing the angels coming up and going down, the ascending and descending. I love that he wakes up and he says that beautiful phrase, surely the Lord was in this place and I did not know it. The theology that I grew up with, the, th- the theology that I studied forever, was a theology of ascension. It was a theology of going up. It was a theology that said, well, hopefully one day I get to go to heaven when I die. And heaven was up there, hell was down below, and we're stuck here on the earth. And it was this, this very like lateral movement thing. And I always wanted to ascend, ascend, ascend. And I remember studying this passage with my friends Stephanie and Lisa Um, that that lead 40 Orchards, this uh, nonprofit that I'm a part of. And we were studying this, and, and it was this idea of like, and the angels were descending. They weren't just ascending. The angels were coming here. They were doing work here. And then when Jacob wakes up, he says, surely the Lord was in this place, and I didn't know it. Now, here's the thing. Was Jacob in some special place on planet Earth? Was he in some place that is unlike other places? That that place that he was at is different from this place that I am right now? I mean, is 20 feet over there different from 20 feet this way? Is he in some special, magnificent place? I mean, it's similar to when Moses is up on the mountain of his father-in-law and he's taking care of the sheep and he sees a bush burning and he goes over to the bush and he hears the bush speak to him. Moses, Moses, take off your sandals for the ground that you are standing on is holy ground. Well, here's the question. Is that ground on Mount Sinai more holy than the ground on the, on the, the plain beneath the mountain? Was it more holy than in Egypt where all of Moses' people were? Or could it be that Moses finally saw that ground itself, when we are allowed to see it, is holy? That the places we step, where we go, is holy if we are allowed for it to be revealed as such. I've been in places where I felt like there was something thin happening, that, that, like, that in-between space where you just feel like, man, 
I can feel the presence of God or I can feel the presence of love or justice in a way that is just different. I felt that in some church services. I felt it when I stood outside of the Lorraine Motel where Dr. King was shot and I stood out there and I saw the balcony with the, the, the wreath on it and I felt like I was in a thin spot. I felt like there was something happening in that place and I've been to that place multiple times and I've not had that feeling again. But I know there's something so dynamic about remembering that history and being caught up in what happened there, the meaningfulness of what Dr. King was all about. There's something about spaces, and it's okay. I think we can hold both, right? We can hold both that maybe there are some spaces, maybe there are some moments where it is just thinner, where we do feel this connection to the divine or to love or to justice in a way that is just transcendent. We don't have words for it. We don't know how to explain it. I don't know how to tell you that I just felt different about that moment. But also, maybe I'm supposed to carry that with me all the time to everywhere my feet go because everywhere I go, the kingdom and the kingdom of God is going with me. Maybe every space, once I've been transformed, once it's been revealed to me, once I've been caught up in this new way of living, this revolution of love that doesn't depend on a certain government, doesn't depend on a certain church, doesn't depend on anyone but the presence of God being with us in community, maybe then if I'm caught up in that, every place I go can become holy ground. Maybe this place is supposed to reflect all the time the wholeness and shalom of God. So circling back to movies for a minute, one of my favorites is The Wizard of Oz, probably many of our favorite movies. Uh, I was watching it with my, my, it was seven at the time, but my now my eight-year-old Mish, and we were watching it, and I was having one of these like cheesy pastor moments of like, I wonder if I could ever do a sermon on like The Wizard of Oz. And I was like, well, that would be cheesy and dumb Um, because I hate when people do that. And like they turn like all these analogies because all analogies fall short. And then I was suddenly like reading, like I was studying the Bible or something. I was reading something, heard someone say, and and it was the whole idea of of, uh, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, strength, and mind, like with all of your, and I was like, oh no, we're talking about mind, scarecrow, tin man, heart, like all of your will, lion, and Dorothy's kind of the soul of the whole operation. And I was like, oh my goodness. But then here's the part. Here's the thing about that movie that actually does turn it into the gospel, is you think that there's something magical happening, that there's something that's just going to take care of everything for you, that if they do this thing, and then suddenly the wizard is just going to like let you go home, and they're just going to send you back to Kansas, and everything's going to be great. And what happens? You pull back the curtain, and you find out there's just a wizard. There's a guy pulling some strings who's trying. And what does Dorothy find out? It's been within her the whole time. It's been within her the whole time. Now, I know this analogy breaks down really quickly, as if God is just a string puller and is not that magical. I want to hold that God is just as magical as we want God to be when we're kids and we believe God to be, and and that God has put the spirit in us, has put all the power that raised Jesus from the dead, as Paul writes about, has put all of the transcendence and all the divine and all this beautiful kingdom and kingdom stuff that Jesus talks about, has put that within us and has given us the will, has given us the courage, given us the heart, has given us the mind, has given us the soul to move it all towards grace, wholeness, and shalom. That it's been revealed 
the whole time because each step you take is holy ground. Each thing you do can be infused with love, that this whole thing should be moving towards wholeness and shalom. To the one in whom we belong and who makes us family, the source and divine parent who runs the house from a posture of wholeness and shalom, may your distinguishable character and your actions infused with justice and mercy be made known through those in your family. Reveal and bring your way and your order. May it happen as we co-create with you. So this place reflects wholeness and shalom. Let's pray. God, may we be people who trust and believe that you show up in miraculous ways, in ways that we can't understand, don't have words for, and never expected. May we pray like that's possible. And may we also be people who say, God, put me to work. Help me co-create. Help me be one who each step I take is revealing the holiness of this place. That this is not simply a place to escape from, but that the direction that we are called to go is not up, but is down. It's right here on this earth with these people, with these systems that we have to change. God, help us to do life well. Help us to do your will. Help us to become your will. Help us to bring shalom and wholeness in all that we do. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. On Friday, February 2nd, the Life Group is going to be hosting a Valentine's Tea. So we know it's not on Valentine's Day, but it is a Valentine's-themed tea at 2 p.m. So bring a little treat to share, bring your own teacup, and then bring a gift for the residents of Emma Norton, um, and then enjoy a sing-along where Sue McDougall will be playing some some love songs that, that are well-known to all of us. And so it should be a fun time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Peace, the podcast. If you would like to learn more about our community, go to peaceumc.com. Again, that's peaceumc.com. For more episodes of this podcast, you can go to our website or go to the show page, peacethepodcast.podbean.com. Again, peacethepodcast.podbean.com. May you experience the love of God and may you have peace.